Hello and welcome to The Canon, the show where every single week we get together and discuss whether certain movies belong in the canon of all-time greats to live on forever. Uh, sometimes we have huge arguments, sometimes we harmoniously agree, but in the end it's always up to you guys at home to decide whether or not the movie we're discussing makes it into The Canon. I am your co-host, Evan Faraci of Birth Movies Death, and joining me as always is your co-host, Amy Nicholson of the LA Review. Uh, hello, Amy. How are you this week? I'm wonderful. Uh, I'm really great because this week, we before we get to the new stuff, we have to deal with last week's episode, which was Pan's Labyrinth. And uh, I really enjoyed reading the comments on this one <laughs> uh, because they were all talking about uh, – I believe the words like Amy's opinion was baffling. Uh, she's delusional, I believe somebody said. Uh, this was really good. These were great comments this week. Not all. There were some people who stuck up for me. I've gotten some nice responses on Twitter. I think there's a whisper campaign that also agrees with me that Pan's Labyrinth is overrated. They just don't know how to say it out loud. And the ones who have, thank you. Uh, but to the ones who were so brutally honest with Amy about her larger <laughs> mental problems when it comes to movies, thank you very much for speaking out. I have been the lone soldier in this battle for a long time, for a year now. Uh, but uh, finally, the, the troops have risen behind me. Uh, so, Amy, what did the audience have to say about Pan's Labyrinth? They voted it in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Welcome to the Canon Pan's Labyrinth. Congratulations. <clears throat> All right. So now on to this week's business. We have a surprise guest with us. Usually when we do a guest episode, the guest comes and nominates the film. But this week we were uh, talking about the movie on Twitter uh, and, and, and somebody jumped in on Twitter. Uh, uh, it said, I have to be on this episode. And that person was uh, uh, Hollywood's own uh, Jake Fogelnest. Hello. Jake. I'm, I'm in Hollywood, California. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here. A town I'm doing so well in. I know. <laughs> you know what? So Jake used to be uh, a podcaster. Yeah. But he's left this penny ante shit behind for some more really high stakes Hollywood business. I do feel bad about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I, know, I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> I do. I miss doing the podcast. I just haven't, I just haven't had time. I just haven't had time. Except um, you're making time for us. I, well, yes. I, 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 well, I like your podcast. Well, thank you. And, uh, and, and, and when the film came up on Twitter, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to get in on that. Well, before we get to the film, Jake, you are doing some really exciting what, – what, what, what are you currently working on that's so exciting? Well, there's going to be a uh, second season of Difficult People. I worked on that. Which is an amazing show, I'm so glad you like it. That uh, means the world. Yeah, I, you know what? Like, so – it, it's 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 a Hulu show. Yes, and so I was a little skeptical. That sure, could, could a Hulu show be good? So were we. <laughs> and then I watched the pilot, and it's fucking unbelievable. Oh, man, it's thanks. so. Have you watched? Difficult no, Evil? I haven't. I need to. It's, I uh, recommend it so much. Billy Eichner is unbelievably hilarious. Julie Klausner is unreal. She's a comic genius, yeah. uh, and the I'm writing is so happy that like Julie Klausner has a, that people are getting to see Julie. <clears throat> she's like, on screen, incredible. Yeah, uh, and uh, the the writing is like just searingly funny and mean. Yeah, uh, I kind of love it. Yeah, we may, it's we we sort of like hey, we're gonna do a mean show and like you know with jokes in it. Like put jokes in your sitcoms. That's a that's a thing that people don't really do. So we were like, well, what if we do a mean show that has a bunch your jokes. You guys had so. a great controversy for the very first episode. <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> did you hear about this? This is ridiculous. There was a joke about R. Kelly peeing on Ivy Blue. Oh, I did hear about Blue this. Ivy. Oh, Blue Ivy, sorry. Yes. See, I'm so I'm so well, out of the loop. Get, Here, with the, get with the times, Devin. But in in the context of the episode, it is presented as a terrible, right. offensive joke, which Julie, uh, the character Julie Kessler, gets in trouble for on Twitter. And, uh, and, and, and everybody in the, I don't want to spoil the episode for people who haven't seen it, but they are punished for this, for, for this terrible, terrible joke where, you know, um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, like a month after it aired, um, the, the Bay Hive, which is Beyonce's, you know, <laughs> fandom, 
discovered this joke and then the show uh, and Julie actually got in trouble in real life on Twitter for daring to even make this joke. Um, um, and then we all ignored it, uh, and, uh, then they picked us up for a second season. So, Perfect. uh, and a, well, about a week later after the controversy and, uh, because nobody addressed it, it, it just, it just went, went away. away. It went but away. it's great. I mean, you're in a great company because that reminds me of uh, when people get mad about other producers. Yes. Which is like clearly the premise is this is the most offensive thing you can do. Yes, exactly. It was just like, it, it, it's not like, we're not saying that that's a, a good joke. <laughs> You should see the one we were going to do originally. It was way worse. <laughs> tell you off the air. Uh, so what was the movie that got you so excited to be on this episode of the canon? Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, what, what is this movie, Jake? Uh, this is a film uh, written by Cameron Crowe, uh, directed by Amy Heckerling. Uh, and it is a, uh, I think, one of the sort of definitive uh, teen movies of of the of the eighties, um, and it's a it's a special film because it's it presents teenagers as they really are. There's no parents in the movie ever. Like I think you at one point there's just like a good night, Stacy, and that's like it. That's the <laughs> only parent that you ever uh, see or hear from in the movie. Uh, and I, I just I think it's a, I think it's a, a classic. There are even minimal teachers in this movie. Yes. We have two, Mr. Yeah. Hand and uh, Vincent Giavelli, who I used to Mr. be obsessed Vargas. with in college. Well, why wouldn't you be? He's incredible. He's, He's incredible. so incredible looking. I know. I, I think we would like draw sketches of him. I had a picture of him on the back of one of my notebooks. You had a picture of Vincent Chiavelli on the yeah. back of your notebook <laughs> as a kid? That's amazing. Well, 19, 19. 19. Okay, that's still really weird. <laughs> that's like that's the might be the best thing I've ever heard. Like I'm just thinking about like like who you you're 19 years old and you have a picture of somebody it's like I don't know like who's a Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> right. Vincent Chiavelli. Oh, two years before it was James Eha. So I my taste is <laughs> That's, they started a band together eventually. <laughs> a little Chicago outfit. Um, that's that's amazing. That might be the best thing I've ever heard. Um, I love it. You know, I agree with you. I think this is one of the all-time great teenager movies. I think it's definitive yes. in terms of how it approaches teenagers. Um, I think part of what makes that happen is that Cameron Crowe, who wrote it, went undercover in a high school. Yes. And actually went and hung out with high school kids. And these are true stories, more or less. More or less. More or less. I read the um, the book recently. Actually, this is um, a, a funny story. I, I worked on – I was one of the writers on the Wet Hot American Summer first day of camp show. And uh, on the first day – in the writer's room, we, you know, we're, we're talking about this – the storyline in the show where uh, Elizabeth Banks' character, Lindsay, goes undercover. And I was like, this it's, – it's like Cameron Crowe in Fast Times. I was like, yes, that's it exactly. And, I, and it was so funny because I had just um, finally got like a PDF of this. Right. Of it's the, way out, out of print. You can way get it for 100 bucks. That's it's about it. It's very expensive. But I, like, somebody got me a PDF and I read the original Fast Times book, which is nonfiction. Right. Because Cameron Crowe did go undercover in, into a high school. Yeah, he was 22 years old. Yeah, and he looked 16. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he sure so did. So he totally got away with it <laughs> and wrote this, wrote this amazing piece of nonfiction uh, that is very close to the screenplay of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, I'd say the book is a little even, – it's even grittier. Not yeah, I say the book is definitely greater. I like the book a lot. It's impo- it's impossible to find. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, but the bones of it are are in the movie, and oh, that's yeah. what brings I think the realism and the truth to the whole. It's thing. true. Although I do have to point out that I was researching um, Fast Times a lot this week, and um, one of Obviously. the characters in it, the character who inspired the character of Rat, sued Cameron Crowe. Really? Right after the book came out, I've always wondered about this. Like because well, he gets it worse in the book. 
yeah. than he does in the movie. But 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 like he did go undercover, and then at, at, at some point there must have there there was a reveal, and and Cameron Crowe is just like uh, actually I'm a. I wrote some cover stories on uh, <laughs> Poco for Rolling Stone, right. and I'm not really your friend. <laughs> like, and um, and and then you know a book is is published, and so he sued him. He sued it. Part of part of Rat's problem, and his real name is I think Arthur Rathbone. Uh-huh. Um, is that or it's a something Rathbone? Is that um, he was much cooler than the book made him out to be. Uh-huh. He says that he was the one, not Spicoli, who ordered a pizza to to his teacher's room. And that like he just gave all of – that Cameron Crowe gave all of the cool stuff to Spicoli and made him look like a total geek. Oh, I feel for Mark Ratner. Well, I know. I feel for Mark Ratner. But fun fact, he dropped the lawsuit after two weeks because um, Cameron Crowe gave him – an autographed guitar signed by Nancy Wilson. There you go. <laughs> so they still left court. Yeah. Perfect. They still left court for guitar. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it, you know, Nancy Nancy Wilson yeah. plays like hot girl in car who like sure. winks earlier in the film. But also um, Rathbone got the final laugh because he ended up writing all of the Four Dummies books about computer technology. You're kidding. No. Yeah. Like in the late 80s, early 2000s, he wrote like PCs for dummies. So and he's a, so much more wealthy. He's wealthier than Cameron Crowe by a wins. long shot. Yeah. So yeah. he wrote the Four Dummies books and Cameron Crowe made Aloha. So I feel like everybody's <laughs> even now. I haven't seen it. I'm sort of like, I have not seen We Bought a Zoo and Oof. I have not oh, seen we Aloha. Bought a zoo. They do say We Bought a Zoo several times. Of course. We Bought a Zoo. If they, if they didn't, I'd be so angry. <laughs> I mean, you walk in expecting uh, that they're going to say we bought a zoo. So, Amy, do you like this movie? Usually Amy doesn't like the movies, so. But that's insane. No, I love this movie. In fact, I think I like this movie more every time I watch it. Yeah. Because when I first watched it, I wasn't quite sure how to feel. As a teenage girl, when I watched this movie. Sure. It's disorienting watching this when you're a teenage girl because the movie fucks with you in really deliberate ways. Well, it's, it's, it's the only – it presents – Losing your virginity as a like sort of in a as it is like we I think we've all had faced that thing of you lose your virginity to a guy that sells stereo equipment in a baseball dugout <laughs> while you're staring at the ceiling and there's Been graffiti there. that says surf Nazis. But the, but the way that sex is portrayed in, in this movie, you know, everybody always talks about Phoebe Cates, you know, coming out of the pool. And that's a fantasy sequence. All the other sex in this movie is is uncomfortable. And disgusting. And it's a fantasy sequence that's immediately followed by humiliation. The most humiliation. Yeah. Like, and, and so as – like I saw this movie probably when I was seven or eight years old for the first time because there were no boundaries in my household. <laughs> um, but but it, it really it, – it wasn't – I never thought of it as sexy. Like I thought of it as like this is an un- – this is uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it was uncomfortable when I watched it as a girl almost in the way Girls is, the, the Lena Dunham show. Sure. Where it's so close to the way a girl makes decisions that you know will end up hurting her. Yeah. That you're just watching it with this fear. You know, and now that I'm older, I can watch it with a little bit more distance. But, like, when the guy shows up, and you know he's cornball from the second the the older stereo guy shows up at the pizza place. He's, like, working hard or hardly working. And I fell for that dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was painful to watch that happen. And I love it now. What's interesting is when this movie came out, Roger Ebert hated it for exactly why we like it right now. Wow. Of course he wrote he did. This really of course he did. Video. I want this every episode of the show to be Ebert was wrong about this movie. Well, every he, episode He of the wrote show. a lot about it. I, I won't read everything that he wrote about it, but he wrote, how could they do this to Jennifer Jason Lee? How could they put such a fresh and cheerful person into such a scuzz pit of a movie? Don't they know they have a star on their hands? I didn't know who Jennifer who Lee was when I walked into Fast Times at Rich Mahine. It was completely went over her. Blah, blah, blah. But yet she's invited to plunge into offensive vulgarity. 
Uh, from the um, co-writer of Beyond the Valley of the I Dogs. Says, <laughs> from Russ Meyer's best friend. It says, whatever happened to upbeat sex? What happened to love and lust and romance and scenes where good-looking kids had a little joy and excitement in life instead of all this grungy, downbeat humiliation? Wow, what did Gene Siskel just... Uh, oh, Roger, I disagree. Like, <laughs> there's always whenever Roger would say something like that, Gene Siskel would, would slap him in, in the best way. That's crazy. It's crazy. I think the best line is this one. If this movie had been directed by a man, I'd call it sexist. It was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling, and it's sexist all the same. Well, it's funny because, you know, watching it again, and I've seen the movie a bunch of times, and watching that scene where Jennifer Jason Leigh loses her virginity, you have to wonder, would a man have shot that scene in the same way? No. Would that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that that shot to the to the light bulb, that shot to the surf Nazis, no. you wouldn't, there's no way. would never know that. Never. Like, that is such a specific girl thing. You check out, you're looking at what's above yeah, you. Yeah, it's 100%. And so that's and part I, of... That's what I love about that movie, and that's what I feel is missing from, and, and why I think Fast Times is important, and I love John Hughes movies, but they're always from the sort of male point of view, and there's just it's just the that scene is the opposite of the male gaze, and and it's amazing. Yeah, well, it's really fascinating to note that Fast Times, while it's an ensemble picture, it is the Jennifer Jason Lee movie. I mean, it's her mm-hmm. her story cuts through everything. Uh, uh, everything else dances around it. She gets the most screen time. Uh, and she gets an abortion. There's an <laughs> yeah. abortion in in a in a teen comedy sex romp movie. Yeah, and the way they handle it is so great because it's not like you're getting an abortion, poor thing, stroking her hair. Like, what a horrible choice you've made. Aren't you going to regret this? It's just a thing she has to do. Do you need a ride? Yeah, you know. They, yeah, they get to the shittiest part of it, which is that the guy who fathered it doesn't care. And that's what matters to the girl, I feel like, almost more than projecting herself down the line. Well, there's a great bit, too, at the end of that abortion sequence where she comes out and her brother, Judge Reinhold, is waiting out there for her. And what I love about this movie is that he's waiting out there for her and it's sweet. And then he's sort of like, in, in in a different movie, he might have like something really great to say. He's like, who did it to you? Yeah. And it's like yeah. I like that. That's like very real. It's not you know he he isn't saying the right thing, but it isn't a big deal that he isn't saying the right thing. It's just very natural, and that's how kids. And it kind of is the right thing when she's that mad. I could see you doing that. That's it's, like if it's you, a little bit of both, but it's not you know he's not he isn't giving some kind of like movie speech, and then he you know what I mean like so it's it's just very natural, very real. I love that whole sequence. Uh, it, 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 it and I do like the way that it really just plays the abortion is very matter of fact. Very it is not you know in in a movie today a character has an but we have you know a great film a, obvious child yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it becomes the entire premise of yes. films. Uh, uh, and uh, but here it's just it's just it's a it's, it's a fact of life. This happens, man. You're you're 15. You get knocked up. This is something that happens, and then you keep moving on and keep living. I love that about it. It's it, it, it's it's a minor subplot, you know. But the fact that it's a minor subplot says so much, right? Um, and because I think Fast Times at Richmond High is this sort of you know, large sort of look at just the teenage experience, the high school experience. And that's like, yeah, that when you're in, when you're in high school and when you're a teenager, those major events can happen within like two, three weeks. Right. And then you're on to the next thing because so much is happening. And that that's, you know. Yeah. All the major events get the same level of, of volume. It's yes. Like, oh, I got a D on a test. Oh, I don't know who I'm going to prom. Oh, I got an abortion. And that's my favorite thing. And I, and I, I, I hate when, Teenage problems in a movie are not taken seriously. My favorite kind of uh, work is when teenagers – because teenage problems are still problems to them. Right. And when when they're lensed through a way that's like condescending or like winking at the audience, like I, that's why I, I think Scream Queens – that show Scream Queens is almost good. 
It's almost good, but I but I think it it it's like it's misunderstanding what was so great about something like Heather's, right? And like just like no, it's not enough that they're just mean and you're you're. It's sort of written from the when I can feel it's a thirty uh, five year old rich white guy writing teenage characters. If I can feel that, you're writing teenage characters wrong. So that's yeah, no, my note. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, every single one of these characters feels like a real person. I mean, what's really as- astonishing? So that, that's, I think, one of the most astonishing things about Fast Times is that everything feels real. It feels real despite having a very strong 81, 82 setting. It mm-hmm. feels very eternal. Yes. Um, despite me really being in that moment in time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the other thing that's really amazing about Fast Times is um, every fucking person in this movie became famous. Yeah. yeah. Every single person in this movie became famous. It's crazy. Nick Cage shows up and just like waves at the camera and is yeah. like, I'll be famous someday. Yeah. Well, he was actually supposed to play the part of Brad, but they wanted everybody to be 18 or older and he was only 17. He lied and said he was 18. And then when they found out, they're like, you get to be in the back of the scene. <laughs> yeah. But that was also the movie where uh, he realized he had to change his name because he was still going by Coppola back yep. then. And he said when he was on the set, people would pound like – they would like walk by him and just go like, uh, apocalypse now and just start screaming oh, random stuff at him and he got really upset. That's mean. It was real mean. Well, they should be shouting Ghost Rider too. <laughs> his – the peak, the pinnacle of Nick Cage. What happened to Nick Cage? A guy who likes to work. <laughs> I think that's it. I think he's just, I just want to make stuff. And he make, when, if you make that much stuff, some of it's going to be real good and some of it's not going to be so good. I mean, he can be real good. He, he can, can be, be real, real good. good. Yeah, he's Nicolas Cage. And th- but there are like 400 movies on Netflix with Nicolas Cage in them that were, you know, were made, you know, in Canada for like $7 million. And I will <laughs> never see any of them. But I think he just doesn't want to not work. I admire that about him. I yeah. mean, I like to contrast Nicolas Cage to Bruce Willis because both of them will do anything yeah. if you pay them. Yeah. But Bruce Willis shows up and he's like clearly condescending towards the movie he's in. Yeah, he's like, he's... I'm here for a million dollars a day. Fuck this. Nick Cage Nick- gives us all. He gives yeah. us all. The only thing I get mad at him for is when Nicolas Cage is in something like, um, oh, ah, what's the name of the, the movie where heaven destroys everything? Uh, Left Behind. Left Behind. That's a, that's a movie where you want him to go in and be full Nicolas Cage, but every so often he just gives you this curveball and he's like, I'm going to take this one serious. I'm going to really pull back. Forward. Yeah. You're like, no, not go, this one. Go full vampire's kiss, my man. <laughs> Eat all the roaches. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. So I mean, but everybody else in this movie became. I mean, this is this is this is a murderer's row of future talent. Ebert was right. Jennifer Jason Leigh was in fact Absolutely. a future movie star. Yeah. She's amazing in this movie. Uh, and uh, rewatching it again, it, it's cool to watch this movie at different phases in your life. Mm-hmm. And sort of because again, I didn't. I saw it probably when I was twelve the first time. Um, and so I've experienced it from you know the. the one side of teenage life, which yes. is this is what it's going to be like. This is what yeah. it's going to be like. Yeah, exactly. But, and I've also experienced it as a teenager, and I've experienced it now as an adult. And it's really amazing to keep revisiting. The movie keeps telling me different things every single time I watch it. Uh, it's really wonderful in that in that way. It made me really nostalgic, and I don't usually feel that way. Like I never feel nostalgic watching a John Hughes film. Mm-hmm. I just think, oh, look at those people in their clothes, and I'm sort of annoyed by this movie. Mm-hmm. But something about the way youth is in Fast Times of Ridgemont High made me feel like, wait, I think we're about the same age. I'm 36. Yeah, I'm 36 too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just could tell. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. You have that vibe. But <laughs> like, I feel like we had the very last generation of high school that was close to this, where you yes. didn't have cell phones and where everything was kind of free for all. Absolutely. And there was fun still, and then. We graduate high school. Columbine happens right after that. And I feel like that's the marker where Generation X ends. Yeah. Like they slam the door and all of a sudden your teachers are scared of you. Everyone's scared of each other. And There's rules get all, enforced. Yeah, rules and, and just dis- discussion. More discussion yeah. about bullying. More discussion about feelings and 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 uh, 
uh, sex and what's appropriate and stuff. And it was just sort of like the, the idea that, well, teenagers are going to be teenagers is went out the window. Out right. the window. And then yeah. at the same time, you have the internet rise at the exact moment. Yeah. And then you stop living in the moment with your friends and being bored and doing stuff and you start living somewhere else. Yeah, that I, that that concept of like – there's nothing to do. You're just at the mall because there's nowhere else because to go. Because there's nowhere else to go. And I think that that probably still exists for teenagers, but there's like – there's this – we have mini computers. You know what I mean? There was no – like there was no choice but to go to the mall to Sam Goody and look at records. Well, that's the something. thing. I mean that, that experience of being fixated on a girl in your class or a girl who works at the mall is probably different in a world where you're a kid who is still a nerd but also meets girls on the internet and you know nobody knows what anybody looks like and it's this endless sort of like pen pal thing. But Ratner's experience in this movie is one that I'm very familiar with, the idea of being fixated on this one girl in your class, being afraid to say anything, going out, not being able to like make the move because you're like just too shy and feel too weird about it. Uh, that feels like a very specific – 50s through the 90s teenager experience. Yeah, but you're at least around her. Opportunities could come you're up. There, you're there. You see her every day. Favoriting her tweets. Right. You see her every yeah. day. Yeah. You're not. You're, you're not at that remove. You're, you're not. You're, you're also probably like. There's also probably a thing of like you can be in love with somebody that's not in your school and not in your state and like you know have that. I think that feeling is the same. I think the feeling doesn't go away. And I think that teenagers will have that feeling forever. Right. But the there's the, the the waiting period. You have you can do nothing about it. Like you're with that girl at school and then you go home and then what maybe you've got a yearbook like photo that you can look at there's no facebook to right. go on there's no like you're just like you're it's created in your mind until you're all freaked out until it's the next morning and you see her again in school and then it's just you you lose all courage again. yeah and you didn't know what she did last night it isn't like you can go on her instagram and watch what or she what was doing bands like, what, she likes what bands? So you have to figure this all out like through this weird uh, you know process of of you know, hopefully talking to her, but probably not. Yeah. Probably listening in, probably paying attention to what's in her locker, probably sort of seeing what she's wearing and making all these guesses. There's like, there's, yeah. I mean, we're I think we're nostalgic for 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 a time when all of this shit was harder and weirder. And 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 having your idiot friend sort of Mike Damone being like, "Here's what you do," and like, <laughs> and it's and and that character is just one of the great characters. It's just yeah. one of the great characters. I really like. Mike Damone, and I don't know if that's okay to say. No, I like this. Okay. I like no. Mike Damone. I mean, but like, what do you mean you like him? I like him as like, oh, it's one of the great all-time sleazes. Yeah, I like on him film. in that he, this archetype is my favorite comedic archetype. The yes, guy, the blowhard who thinks he knows it all, and yeah. we can watch him and know he's an idiot. I love that. No, oh, I, I the best part of it, but also I watching it this time. There's like a central sadness in this performance oh, yeah. that I really identify with. I was like, oh, this is – because again, watching this movie over different periods of my life, my my relationship with Damone changes. Sure. Um, which is that when I was a kid, Damone was like the funny, you know, the funny cool guy. Mm -hmm. uh, then when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, this guy's a dickbag. And as I get older, I go, oh, I recognize a lot of this stuff. I recognize not necessarily – but the idea that you think you know more than you do and then when you find out you don't know as much or that you're not as cool as you thought you were, that the, the sadness in that, I, I, I like that a and lot. And I think Heckerling is careful to give us some sympathy to him that other filmmakers might have skipped over. Like he doesn't just not show up for the abortion. We see him trying to get money for it and we see him attempting to do it and failing and then not knowing how to say anything yeah, about it. Yeah, he just can't pull it off. He just yeah. – he's he doesn't have the fortitude to pull it off and, and that's just tragic. Sitting, you know, in his room alone. With all his posters looking With at him. With his posters and the TV on and it's just like – 
he can't, he's paralyzed. Yeah. He can't make a move. And it's really human. And again, you're right. Other filmmakers would have made him into just a, a, a blowhard jerk. Uh, but there's so many layers to this, to this character um, that I really like that about him. Amy Heckerling cares about teenagers and understands teenagers because I think I rewatched Clueless recently. Oh, great film. And it's also great. Right. And it also, you know, it's, it's a different tone than Fast Times. Uh, and it, it's, but it's, it's the care, each character has the same amount of care to it, you yeah. know, and, and it's broader, but the, it's the, char- broad. the characters yeah. still remain human, human. and identifiable. Yeah. Human. And I, and, and I think that like, that's the, you, there's humanity in every single character in Fast Times, even Spicoli, who is, you know, the cartoon character, a cartoon movie. character, yeah. but, 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 but that is a very, it's just like. That that moment with like you know where Mr. Han comes to his house, this is like you know like what were you gonna do this or whatever you know yeah. and 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 makes him stay and you know home from the prom or whatever, and just how sad Spicoli is in that moment. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what makes Spicoli work as well as he does for me because yeah. I, I feel like Spicoli is my kind of touch and go weak link of the sure. film. Like I don't like how at the end of the film he gets on stage at the dance and it's all of a sudden it reminded me of like. I don't know, like like some rad cartoon dog coming in and being like, this is what the movie's about. He's a he little poochy. Like, yeah. He has poochy. That's the word I was trying to think of. And he gets like the final biography note. And it's like, is this a Spicoli movie out of nowhere when I don't think it should be? What? But Nick Cage plays him. Or Sean Nick Penn. Cage, Sean Penn <laughs> plays him with just so much genuine confusion. Yeah. He has no idea what's going on. Yeah. And, and and my favorite when you br- you brought up the uh, the the title cards at the end, uh, which is the you know the postscript for each character. My favorite one is uh, this Phoebe. It's his uh, Linda Barrett uh, uh, currently living with, with her abnormal, abnormal psych, psych professor. professor. <laughs> it's just like that character, her character, which is so confident and so has the world figured out and knows everything about sex. And I watch that now and I go. Oh, you're in trouble. Oh, she doesn't know anything. I love the scene where Jennifer Jason Leigh is talking to her and she's like, well, how long does your boyfriend go? Uh, And she's like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. Oh, I thought you said 30 to 40 minutes. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And it's like the clearly uh, the everybody lies about sex thing coming through. Uh, We have to take a quick break. Uh, We come back. I want to talk a little bit more about Sean Penn. Uh, because uh, I think it's it's amazing that this is where he sort of begins, and also about the music in Fast yes. Times at Ridgemont High. So, what, you know what? Do you know how long people have been making wine? How long have people been making wine? 9,000 years. 9,000 years people have been making wine. That's your wine. people, right? The Italians? Well, we were one of them. I don't, you know, I think 9,000 years ago, the Italians were still in caves. Um, but the thing is that 9,000 years from the beginning, nobody's quite known which wine to choose. I mean, the thing is, it's the hardest thing going to the store and trying to figure out a, a nice wine. Who knows? I'm not. I'm not a sommelier, you know. No, uh, and and we're old now, so we get judged by the wine we bring to dinner parties. Yeah, I just can't bring two buck chuck anymore. I got to actually bring something decent. Um, you know what? That's why you can join the wine club, Club W. They've changed everything. Um, and it's really easy. They're going to be like your personal sommelier. They're going to go to clubw.com and you answer six simple questions. And they have this algorithm and then it creates a palette profile just for you. The questions are stuff like how do you take your coffee? And is salt a necessity for you? Well, how, do you how do you care about salt on a scale of like one to five? So they – you know, it's not like – it's not the obvious stuff. They're really they're really creating a, a, a powerful a powerful profile of you here. I think it's interesting because for me – I'm a chick, and all summer my friends have been wanting me to drink white wine with them, and I hate it. I think it's too sweet. In this, they guided me towards a wine that I could actually drink that wouldn't taste like candy. You know, when, once you've once you've answered your questions, and they start sending wine, and it comes directly to your door, and it's perfectly customized to your taste. But here's the thing: they're not just going to the store and buying it. Uh, Club W is leading the grape to glass wine revolution. 
They work directly with vineyards and they cut out the middlemen and it saves you money. Um, so it's – you're getting premium wine customized to your taste and it's at a third of what you pay at the store. And you know the thing is they have a no-risk 100 percent guarantee that you're going to love whatever they send you. So you just send it right back if you're like, oh, this, I don't like this. But you're never going to say that because their whole palate profile is going to – it's going to be like minority report. They're going to see into the future. They're going to understand exactly what wine you need They're going to know what Friday. crimes you're going to do while drunk on wine. You don't. You drink responsibly with Club W. I don't. Want, I don't even like you associating our our advertisers with crime. I, I think that's terrible. Uh, you only do crime on whiskey, never on wine. You're that's right. actually true. Right. Whiskey true. is the trouble. We had a whiskey club that yeah. be a real bad time. Wine though is like it's good. It's family. You sit around the table. You laugh. You drink wine. You know, it's a social drink. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, the Godfather. Just yeah. like all that stuff. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. So, Club W is so excited to be now advertising with the Canon. They're offering my listeners fifty percent off your first order when you go to clubw.com/slash Canon. C A N O N. Stop wasting time and money messing around at the Bevmo and start drinking wine that you know you're gonna love. Go to clubw.com/slash Canon. C A N O N to get fifty percent off your first. And that's half off. You can't even go wrong with this. And it's a hundred percent guarantee that you're gonna love what what you get. That's clubw.com/slash Canon. And we are back. Uh, you know, we touched on Sean Penn. I want to talk more about Sean Penn because I think it's amazing. I think that if you're a, sort of a, a younger listener who is more familiar with Sean Penn as the, sort of the serious actor and sort of the ideologue and uh, maybe the asshole who beat up Madonna, uh, you're not re- – this version of Sean Penn is really unfamiliar and it's incredible. He is so great at Spicoli. On, on some level, even if Fast Times wasn't a great movie and it's a great movie from beginning to end, I almost feel like Spicoli makes Fast Times a canon movie because this character – was so important culturally. Uh, they even had like Spicoli make a, 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 a Sean Penn made. He made like a not a sequel, but like sort of a similar vein film, uh, The Wildlife, uh, where he's all just stoner again. Is that what it was? The Wildlife. Well, it's, that's Chris Penn, his brother, and it's Cam- Cameron Crowe wrote the Wildlife. Wait, did Life. I fuck this up right now? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> we're, we're keeping it. We're but, keeping it. We're but, keeping it. I fucked but, up. But um, after Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, Cameron Crowe wrote another movie that Art Linson directed. Oh, okay. And it's called The Wildlife, and it was sort of the follow-up to Fast Times at Richmond High, which is a really cool movie. It's not as as good, and it it did not do very well because it came out at the same time, I believe, as like Ghostbusters and Gremlins in in 1984. So just this movie got buried, but it's Chris Penn, his brother. It's Chris Penn, his brother. And and his, his catchphrase in that is, it's casual. That's it's, it's a great movie. <laughs> the late Chris Penn, the great, yes. the great, late great Chris Penn. Although I do think that Spicoli, from what I heard, that the checkered vans he beats himself with on the forehead were not considered that cool or hip until after he did that. Absolutely, yeah. The vans, vans were not a, a thing. Yeah, I remember being a little boy and buying those because of Spicoli. Um, but they were not like they. It was way after Fast and Furious High that the, like they were not a cool. That was not a cool no. shoe. But you know what they sell They're now? Not. And I they were hard to get. Them. They were hard to get back in the day. Yeah. Well, I just bought these because like, right now a bunch of my friends are having kids. So my my gift for every kid is I get these cool socks and they look like checkered Vans. It's a set of baby socks. Oh, so that's it's so like cool. Six six pairs of socks that just look like Spicoli shoes. They're amazing. That's awesome. But. I mean, Sorry. Oh, oh, but I was just going to say, like, to the filmmaking of the way the the film handles Spicoli, one of my favorite things about this, and you watch it and you just think, Amy Heckerling was a first-time major director. Yeah. And she had this control 
where you meet Spicoli. You know who Spicoli is. You go inside Mr. Hand's classroom. You're learning who Mr. Hand is, this big showdown that we're going to see throughout the film. And then in the window, you just see Spicoli slowly coming into focus as he enters the room. And you know what's about to happen. Like, you're prepared. You know both of these characters already. Yeah. Like, she just has him come in, sort of like a horror movie monster. And then you see him knock on the door. That is... And that's the craft that she had just out of nowhere. What was Amy Heckerling's um, – like, had she made short films? What she was... made a short film about a girl trying to lose her virginity. Right. Okay, yeah. I've yeah. never seen this. I want to see this. I've never seen it either. I went looking for it. She's an AFI grad from right, right here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because I've heard – I think on the director's commentary for Fast Times, they talk about – Cameron Crowe talks about that short. and and But this was like – how did – so Amy Heckerling – how did this movie get made? It's weird. You know, the original director they wanted was David Lynch. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. He had just done The Elephant Man. And sure. And they were like, do, do this movie. And he was like, no, no, I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm going to go do Dune. I, this is, uh, it's an intriguing offer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, appreciate your thinking of me. Can somebody get Funny or Die to do David Lynch's Fast Times? Uh, well, I did a, a, a David Lynch uh, sketch when I was working at Funny or Die. Uh, of uh, deleted scenes from Twin Peaks. So it was just an, an excuse to uh, have my friend Charles dress up like David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was one of these, this is like, what are you making? It's like, it's not going to cost much. All right, go do it. Uh, but D- David Lynch's Fast Times, I would, I would, I would, uh, I just, I don't think that should be a funny or die thing. I just, it should be a, a, a feature. We should just make an entire feature yeah. film, David Lynch's Fast Times. How would David Lynch handle the abortion? <clears throat> oh, it would have been oh. tough. There'd be a, there'd be the song. <laughs> there'd be a little musical number. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, uh, heckling is amazing. I love that you're right. I mean, the way that she sets up the hand Spicoli thing is is so perfect. These two characters going head to head are so great because they're both cartoony in their own way. Mr. Hand is sort of the the broadest cartoon version of the tough teacher that we've all had. Uh, Spicoli's so great. I love Spicoli's delivery. Uh, Sean Penn's delivery uh, in that first scene um, is defined a big portion of my life. With you, dick. Oh God! It just it's defining, um, and it's sort of funny that again Spicoli this character creates sort of. An updated version of the surfer dude, the SoCal guy that I think a lot of other maybe young – again, younger listeners might associate specifically with Bill and Ted, but that really Spicoli popularized you know, uh, half a decade before. Yeah, and to create it, they actually had to change stuff from the book because in the book, the character of Mr. Hand is actually a guy who's obsessed with Hawaii Five-0. And, and like that's says, why he says oh, aloha, right? He says aloha all the time. And I guess they were like, well, we can't have Hawaiian shirt enemy and teachers saying aloha and pretend like they hate each other. So they toned down all his Hawaii five ness See, I like in the movie, I, I keep, you know, again, revisiting it again and again and again. Mr. Han's aloha stuff is interesting to me because it almost sets him as the ghost of Christmas future for Spicoli. Sort of you can imagine Mr. Hand being a guy who grew up surfing. Do you know what I mean? Like in the 50s. Like Aloha comes from that. Like in a be- in like the beach the, party in, movies? Like the beach like, party like, movies. Yeah. And so Spicoli isn't just sort of the bad kid. He's also sort of like the version of himself but like even crazier and more twisted. And that's why he doesn't like him but does like him in the end. That's why they have that connection. This is all just fan fiction clearly. But I've always liked that about <laughs> it. The idea that, you know, him saying Aloha, what does that mean? Like, and I'm, you know, it's because he likes – Hawaii Five O, but uh, in terms of my fan fiction, it's because he was hanging out with you know Annette on the beach. I, I always assumed the Aloha thing was just it was a uh, it was a time saving measure 
for, for Mr. Hand. And it was just like, aloha. Now we've got that out of the way. It's hello, <laughs> goodbye. Now it's time to learn, you know? Like, <laughs> that's how I sort of inter- – it's just a we- – it really is – it is left over from this thing from the real Mr. Hand in the book. But on its own, it's just a it's just a weird piece of funny business <laughs> that still works for I me. love it. Ray Walston's so great. He's, He's so, so great. terrific. Uh, you know, really one of the great actors. And, and, and his Mr. Hand is – He's perfect casting because you could cast a guy in that role who's just a dick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you like Ray. Like he's, you know, he's, he's your favorite, favorite Martian. Yeah. Exactly. So there's something going on. So you're with that guy. That's part of Heckerling's genius with this movie is that every single character, even the characters that would be very easy and, in, again, in every other movie would have just been two-dimensional, she gives them something it's else. It's true. I mean, although the film did originally for that role go out to Fred Gwynn, Herman Munster to play. But so same, I think that would have been the same thing. Same right. kind of casting. Yeah. Are we, by the way, the last generation of people who know what my favorite Martian is? <laughs> <laughs> like, is there any – like, there's nobody under the age of, like, 28 that, yeah. like, is looking up my favorite Martian on YouTube. I, I was I was out with my girlfriend. She's 30, and uh-huh. uh, we were – I dragged her to um, this comic shop in Burbank, and they had a My Favorite Martian doll. I was like, oh, My Favorite Martian. And she did that thing where she was like, oh, yeah, where I was like, I don't know if you actually you have any yeah. idea what I'm talking about here right now. Yeah. <laughs> Nor should she. Like she just, she's like she's afraid of asking what it is and yeah. then opening up a fucking torrent of me. You've never seen my favorite Martian? By the way, if anybody's ever said that, oh my God, you've never seen my favorite Martian? What's the matter with you? Like it's The Wire or something. By the way, don't do that even with The Wire. It's annoying. Come on. My favorite Martian though, it's it's Bixby and Walston. It's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> But the but Fred Gwynn, it would be the same sort of right. you know yeah. casting of like oh this is a familiar TV goofball right. that we right. love Who that can play Stern yes but is also have something soft underneath right although Fred Gwynn said no because he thought there was too much sex in the script he, he was offended he, he was an Ebert yeah well you know what uh, Fred Gwynn uh, he gets a he gets a pass for his uh, terrible uh, main accent in Pet Cemetery um, <laughs> so uh, one of the all time horrible. Uh, accents in cinema, uh, uh, but but that is again her casting is incredible. Um, I love her casting of Judge Reinhold. Yeah, mm. because this is a character who, again, in a different movie, might have been a little more insufferable. He's sort of a rich kid who keeps quitting his fast food jobs, and there's like a level, like you know, I hate. Well, he he, it's it's that he has the car. He has the most coveted fast food job. You want to work at Big Kahuna Burger. And like in the in the book, they they really get into how coveted this one fast food job is. And he thinks he's got it wired. Um and then a dick customer comes right. in and he and he can't help himself and he gets fired and he and that means that his like when you're it's a teenager, his life is over because right. he lost his fast food job. Well, that's the thing. What I like about his character is he just keeps trying to get other jobs. Like he actually yeah. really wants to work. He wants yeah. to work. I like that about him a yeah. lot. And that's the thing is that in a John Hughes movie, I think this character might have been a character I don't like. Mm-hmm. You right. know, I really tend to not like the 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 the, the sort of the white well-off center dude in any John Hughes movie is always my least favorite character in any John Hughes movie. And so you know. Uh, uh, all these kids had jobs in Fast Times. They, they were all yeah. had all to work, right. and they wanted to work because I think that work meant freedom from them. It's Away from you their could, parents right, and then be, the money. You have yeah. a place to be and you have a couple of bucks to spend on abortions. Yeah, yeah. Cameron Crowe said that this is like a moment when the American teenager 
wanted to be independent from their parents. Yes. And that they thought it was lame to get an allowance. Yes. But what I also like about it is all of the characters in this film judge each other by what their jobs are. Yes. It's And I love that Rat is in this tuxedo for work, but it makes <laughs> him look like a little adult compared to everyone else. It's so, fu- it's so fun. It's just the, the introduction of his character, too. First of all, he's taking tickets and he's saying, smoking's upstairs to your left, smoking's up. And I'm just like, oh, God, you used to be able to smoke in movie theaters. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was, that. yeah, that was nice. <laughs> That was a nice time. Um, and Mark Ratner even has a uh, – or, or I'm sorry, Damone yeah. even has a job. He's, he's a, a ticket scalper. Yeah. yeah. And when he tries to talk up Rat to go talk to Jennifer Jason Lee, he's like, she's just a pizza waitress. <laughs> <laughs> But it's he's a really good ticket scalper too. He oh, yeah. really puts a lot of effort into it. He's actually selling people on shows. Mm-hmm. Like he really uh, is 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 working hard. He's not a slacker. There's not there's, there isn't a slacker in this bunch. I mean, Spicoli, I guess, is the slacker in the bunch, uh, and he's like sort of again the weirdest cartoon character in the whole movie. Anyway, yeah, but Although, everyone else is really motivated. Even I, Forrest Whitaker. Even yeah. Forrest Whitaker, who's so he looks like seven feet tall here. So I had to check. He's only six foot two, but he looks seven feet tall over everyone else. He's got one line. He's don't fuck with it. It's well, the best. I like, you know, it's funny is that uh, Spicoli is this really cartoony, silly character. He probably does the meanest thing in the whole movie. Oh yeah. He is it's kind of crazy. It's kind of like unreal. Like it's like the moment where you know he is confused the whole movie, but there that's a a brilliant stroke of manipulation on his part to you know to put Forrest Whitaker's car crashed car in front of the building and claim it was the rival high school that did it. Uh, that's un that's like for a guy who's confused and stoned all the time. That's pretty fucking yeah. sharp. And actually, it's kind of a warped version of what the real Spicoli did too, because in the in the version of the book. There's a horrible car crash at school. Do you remember this? There's a horrible car crash, and one of the students loses his dad and his sister, I believe. Spicoli doesn't know any know who that they know somebody in this car crash, so he bursts into a classroom holding the paper. And he's like, look, you can see bodies inside. And he becomes social pariah. Right. That's like the the, the, the like the turning point for Spicoli. It's like nobody thinks he's cool. Because <laughs> he's just like, look at the horrible tragedy that directly <laughs> – Relates to your life, <laughs> and it, and it is like that kind of like that kind of dumb kid. Like I I remember when like Kurt Cobain died, and there yeah. was like dicks at school that were like Kurt Cobain. And I just went home, but like because I just school was not for me, just in general. <laughs> I just stopped going. I and got. see, kids, you can go places without school. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Really, absolutely. We recommend yeah. dropping yeah. out. Yeah. I, I, I drop out of high school, get a, get your own television show when you're. See, Jake, 16. that's the thing. You dropped out of high school. I dropped out of college. I should have dropped out earlier. You should have dropped out earlier. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. I have a master's degree. It's nice to talk to you guys. I wish I, I, wish I was smarter and better and more handsome. <laughs> but I no, appreciate I mean, that you looked at me when you said that. Huh? I appreciate that you looked at me when you said sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like back to Judge Reinhold, I didn't know this until recently, but he was cast because he was Amy Heckerling's upstairs neighbor. Amazing. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I love him in this movie. Watching this, I was like, I want to – I don't want this movie to ever get remade. No, but if it did, you can't. I'm just picturing young Jason Siegel. They just seem like yeah, types yeah. Of each other. I love Judge Reinhold. I'm trying to think of like anything that I've seen Judge Reinhold in, and I'm like, like, oh, it's not a great thing. Like every time I see him in something, I love him. He's extraordinarily likable. He's yeah. just super likable. And again, that's tough for like that. That's that sort of like big, tall, kind of handsome white guy thing. He has a down to earth quality. Yeah, that I think makes everybody kind of dig him no matter what. Jason Siegel. It, it really, it really is a good comparison. Like, he's the he's the judge. Every generation gets the judge Reinhold it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but Jason Siegel's going to be getting an Oscar nomination. Oh, I this think year. he's great. And I, I, uh, yeah. where's Judge Reinhold's Oscar nomination? Well, where's Judge Reinhold? I mean, like, I know he showed up in, a, in Arrested Development as, as Judge, Judge Reinhold, yeah. which is so funny. <laughs> but I like do, do do like does he want to? I always when, with something somebody as talented as Judge Reinhold, I always go, does he want to work? You know, because I, I imagine that people think of him for things because he's such like one of those kind of. He's one of those yeah. actors that everybody loves, and let's Iconic. see, let's, let's see what his last thing was. I mean, it's probably like a Key and Peele episode or something, and I'm an idiot and I don't know. Yeah, he was he was so committed actually to playing the character of Brad that you know that masturbation scene where maybe yeah. Kate's walks in on Did him. Did he masturbate? Uh, he brought a gigantic fake dildo with him and didn't tell anyone. So That's that great. When he whirled around, she freaked out for real. Yeah, yeah. her face, Phoebe Cates's face. In that, yeah. it's true disgust. She's really good. I mean, she wasn't really an actress before this. She was a teenage model. Mm-hmm. She was just showing up on much like myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> but like, as you look at the Judge Reinhold thing, I mean, I want to talk about how what I love about this so much as well is like just the relationship between Phoebe Cates and Jennifer Jason Lee and how you just see how an innocent girl tries to make her friend think she's cool. Yeah, and this idea of young women deciding to do what they think everyone expects them to do. Because you could play the character of Jennifer Jason Lee as just easy or dumb or cheap. She's none of, none those, of things. those things. Right. She thinks that this is what she's – it's almost like she's playing dress up or pretend. She never even seems to have the best conversations or enjoy what she's doing. But she's going to put on the silky white bathrobe and try to seduce a guy because isn't that what grownups do? That's what – that, and I think that that is a thing that when you're 15 as as the character of Stacey – is you do you you put on this thing of like I'm a grown up now, and you're you look it's you look ridiculous. It's like you know like a, like it's almost like two little kids in a trench coat trying to sneak into an R rated movie. It's as <laughs> silly, um, and that is it, it. Just that the bathrobe, and it's just like, do you want to look at family photos? You know, and and like sort of just getting it just a little bit wrong. God, and that like, is so fucking familiar to me too, by the way, from yeah. growing up, sitting down with some girl in her room and the excuse why you're in her room is because she's going to show you like photos. Something, like, yeah. Was, oh, did you see my photos from when the school trip went to uh, Greece over the summer? Uh, come look at the photos. And yeah, that, that would be, mom, we're going to go, we're, I'm going to go show him the pictures. And yeah, that, that would be the excuse why the you're photos. in a, in and a bedroom. And this is another thing that Facebook has ruined. You could be like, did you see him? Yeah, yeah. I looked at him last night. Let me text you a link. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's never, never the same. Judge Reinhold has been working in the last set about that the better good 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 <laughs> got it got it got it um, uh, but you know so she's 15 and uh and and she wants to have sex she wants to be with boys but the movie does not play it with any kind of panic there's no, no. sexual panic and when she gets the abortion it doesn't feel like punishment it is not a scene where she is being Nothing's taken down manufactured. there's no bet there's no like right. i have right. to lose my virginity before 3 p.m today like or there's nothing it's it's weirdly this multi-plot, like it's almost like Magnolia or something. Yeah. It's just like now we're just dropping in on these characters and their lives and they're all connected and here's the deal. Like, right, and Phoebe Cates isn't even made the villain for being the one who sort of pressures her into it because in the book the whole idea between that character was that Phoebe Cates' character was a girl who had like gotten in trouble for like doing too many drugs yes. and had passed out and was trying to reform herself as a good girl so was adopting this nice girl yes. as a way of trying to be a better person and then also warping her. Yeah, nobody is um – uh, like there's no villains. In there's this no movie. villains. It's not a single movie. villain in this picture. Yeah. Even again, even Damone, who's closest to a villain, is a character that you has a sadness to him. Right. And uh, he and is, and is punished too. Right. Like he's he, he like they. 
Right, prick on his locker and prick on his, you know, it's like. <laughs> Into a guy who's so ego conscious and yeah, aware of his image. It, it that's destroys the worst. him. Yeah, it destroys him. Every Everybody kind of goes through their thing. And that's, I don't know. It's you know, you mentioned it's sort of like Magnolia and it is that ensemble flowing story. I love about this movie is that it's the entire school year, but it never feels disjointed. Um, uh, heckling is able to bring us through the school year. It just sort of ebbs and flows. And it sort of captures that feeling of being a kid where time, the passage of time is almost a mysterious thing. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, uh, last semester was yesterday, but it's also a million years ago. Uh, and it's, 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 it's kind of fascinating how the movie captures that, that sort of set, that sort of continuity of an entire school year without having to do too many signifiers. They have the Christmas stuff, but the Christmas stuff, it isn't like we stop for like an incredibly long montage. No. Just, and it's also, su- it's Southern California, you yeah. know? Right. It's, so it's all the same so fucking season anyway. All the fucking same. And, and there's something, and, and there's something like, even in, like I grew up in New York. So there was, there was winter and stuff. It didn't matter because it just, it seemed like it went on forever. Right. School, the school year was so long. It's really like what, like, what, what do you go to school in September? You're it's out like by June. Eight months. It's yeah. It, yeah, and it's like that's not like when you think about like working at a place for like years. It, it really sort of makes that look quaint. And you have all these like breaks within the school year. Yeah, but it feels like you're just fucking trapped. Trapped there forever. 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 Yeah. And and you're gonna do this for four fucking years. <laughs> four fucking years, and like that, and 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 I think you really. Um, get a sense of that with Judge Judge Reinhold's character, who's a scene, he's he's almost fucking out, like yeah. he's almost out of there, and like he only has six more payments on that car, and then he is a grown up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's so fascinating about that too is Cameron Crowe said to kind of get back to the economics and Judge Reinhold's yeah. jobs is that he felt when he wrote this that what was happening to the American teenagers that they were becoming adults really young with adult pressures. Yes. And I feel like in the last thirty years since this movie came out. Now that's kind of shifted, and now adults just feel like teenagers forever. It's a hundred percent. We, I, wow. I think about this all the time. Is that our definition of adulthood has changed? I, I think we talked about that on the show in the past. We're living longer, yeah. so the concept of when we are uh, adults is changing as a result. Because if you're going to live to be 120, well, then why, why should 18 be adults, right? So I think that the idea of being a teenager is different now that, you know, in the 50s when the teenager, it didn't exist previous to the 40s and 50s. Then it became a separate sort of part of life as as our lifespans changed and as economics created different scenarios. Uh, and then teenagers yeah, started to become a little mini adults. And you can see that in the 80s movies where teenagers are just screwing, having, you know, uh, doing drugs, hanging out. Um, sort of the college stuff moved into the into the high school stuff. But now... We're in a place again. I had an argument with somebody on Twitter, which already really is- you had an argument no. with somebody on Twitter. I I'm sure you I can- can't believe it. This is why I can remember it because it was such a an unusual event. I bet you comported yourself really well. I, I'm sure. I'm sure I was really good about it. Uh, <laughs> but the point was that somebody was talking about there was a guy who was like some famous person who was 30 who was dating somebody who was 18 mm-hmm. and was like they were like this is disgusting. <laughs> And then they were like, this girl can't even make her own decisions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, she's 18. She can fucking vote for president. Like, mm-hmm. she can 100%. But this person I was arguing with was a young person. They were like 20. And they're like, I don't think that a person who's under 21 should be really considered anything close to an adult yet. You can't, you know, you're not. And, and I, 
other people began. Ch- there young are people, veterans who are young people started chiming in. Well, I was like, yeah, I was like, I was like, she could go kill somebody and then vote for president. She can clearly decide who she fucks. Uh, uh, but there were other young people who also chimed in, and then I got into this conversation, and then this is there was this weird consensus that grew up. It was like, I don't know, like twenty five is an adult, and I was like twenty five. <laughs> Like I when I was a, when I was a teenager, I could not wait to be a fucking adult. Like the minute that I could claim that I was an adult and do my own thing, I did it. But that whole everything about that has changed. And so teenagers so recent, today like, do like, not want to be adults. They want to maintain some kids some of them do. 45-year-olds don't want to be adults. Who wants to be an adult? It sucks. I love being an adult. I mean, I, there, there's times where I'm like, I love being a grown up. Like, where it's like, oh, I'm going to go to the movies at midnight and right. do whatever I want. Yeah, I I'm love gonna that. I'm going to buy an airline ticket or rent a car. Yeah, like stuff like that. I can't rent a car because I don't know how to drive. Like, <laughs> that's a whole thing. That's a whole other thing. That would, it's, you know, it's, I've lived here, I don't know, three, four years at this point. I still don't drive. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yes, like, I can buy an, I have a credit card. You know, and it's like, and you make a mistake when you're 18 and you get a credit card and you ruin that immediately. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. you ruin that immediately. Hand and raised. then if you're lucky and you, you repair it, they give you another one. <laughs> and now I'm in that space now and it's like, I have a credit card and I use it responsibly. Um, and that does, you know, things like that feel good. The one thing I'll say about that argument that you had on Twitter is that you're both right um, in the sense that um, – uh, yeah, you're you're an adult when you're 18. When you're 21 years old, you can vote and drink and buy a gun and all that stuff. And and please go out and buy guns because it's very easy to do so. Um, but um, but do you want to date an 18 year old, Devin? Like, would you date an 18 year old? Man, you put me right on the spot right now. Like, I I would not want to date an 18 year old. Um, I don't think like I think it it's not it's not disgusting. But it's not great. It's just like right, there's well, a lot of life. That there's, you, she okay. probably doesn't know about My Favorite Martian. There's multiple There's multiple she ways. She might. She might know about My Favorite Martian and that might be deceiving. But then there's going to be other emotional stuff. It's like, oh, well, this was a thing and then I, I'm going to get hurt. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> there's multiple ways to answer that question, which is that generally, no, I find the idea of dating an 18-year-old exhausting. Yes. Uh, but that's more of like an old man thing. Yeah. I know plenty of people who are 18 to 24 who are cool, smart. Sure. You know, they're still figuring their shit out. Figuring but, their shit out. But I mean who isn't on some level? I'm not going to say – You know, I have a, a wonderful girlfriend who is 12 years younger than me. So yeah. I'm not going to say that. That's, tw- that's fine. That's like not, you know what I mean? Unless you rewound and you were 30 and she was 18. Yeah. But I did that too. Yeah. So I Look, mean, I've well, done I mean, it. I'm not saying that I haven't done it. <laughs> I'm still a disgusting man. I haven't dated an – no, I haven't dated an 18-year-old. But like, no, like but, – but it's not um, – I, I don't know. I just think – I think about it in the context of the stereo – Salesman, yeah. That Stacy lies about her age, like she lies about her. Like you know, it's like you. Are you sure you're really nice? Listen, the members of the Rolling Stones continue to date younger women. I think that nobody's complaining about that. Well, okay. On the flip side of it, when I was when I was graduating high school, and I was very innocent that like nobody was going to jail, but I was 17 and my boyfriend was 27. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was older that I was like, what was he doing dating me? That's kind of lame. Not like he was a creep, but not a creep. But is it like what? What? what, A little pathetic. What has he got going on? where was exactly. he in a state of arrested development that it was just like, I'm going to connect on this level? Exactly. And it's not a creep thing. No, it's he's just very sort of sweet. like, a, yeah, you, have, you have all this stuff worked out inside. Yeah. I, I remember like then my next boyfriend after him, I was 18 and he was 25. Mm-hmm. 
I went away to college and he would send me letters every day to my dorm room. He was a, he was a musician. He was mm -hmm. in a band and he would always misspell there, there and there. Oof. And so I dumped him for a freshman astrophysics major. Right. Cause I was right. like, what am I doing dating an old man who can't spell? Right. But that was, that was a perspective thing. I liked it because I identified with Jennifer Jason Lee that it made you feel so grown up. That Absolutely. That older man liked you. Absolutely. And then you realize that older man's kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing dating an older man? I can't spell. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. When I know a redheaded <laughs> astrophysics major. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a winner. Oh, he was great. Yeah. I really miss him. Yeah. He had a, he has such a generic name. Do you want to reach out to him it. on the show right now? Maybe he listens. Yeah. He has such a generic name. I've never been able to find him on Twitter on his name? anything. What's Brian his... Campbell. Brian Campbell. That's a generic name. Real generic. Yeah. Redheaded <laughs> Afro. I think he switched from astrophysics to film studies to geology. There's a real good chance he's listening to the show. Probably not. There's a, he probably keeps tabs on you. But why would – he would reach out, I would imagine. All right. Well, no, Brian he's, Campbell, no, he's a, if you're listening to this, I miss you. No, he's he afraid. Like, he's afraid to reach people? out because she probably dumped him real bad. And <laughs> she probably was real mean about it. Yeah, and we should change that subject. <laughs> <laughs> you did, did you? You dumped him? Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming. All right. We'll take one more quick break and we come back. We'll wrap it up. We still have to talk about the music. We'll talk about the music. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then uh, we will wrap it all up uh, and we'll sh uh, sh uh, make our final decisions and then throw it out to the audience to vote. We are back. Okay. Uh, so the music. I mean this is a movie that is full of terrific early 80s music. Absolutely. Uh, which is tough because I think that it's not always easy to find terrific early 80s music. It's an interesting story with the soundtrack because you've got Cameron Crowe. Uh, Who's clearly plugged in. Who knows a thing or two about the rock and roll world. Right. Amy Heckerling who also knew a thing or two about the rock and roll world. Um, and their sort of desire to have a soundtrack. And then Irving Azoff, I believe, is the executive producer of the soundtrack. And he's like, I manage the Eagles. So, <laughs> you know, and and you're putting some stuff on this soundtrack. You were going to get raised on the radio by the Ravens, and that's what's going to open the film. And Amy Heckerling is like, what about We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's? Which is not on the soundtrack album, but is in the movie, and that right. was like a like that was a fight. This soundtrack album is uh, first of all one of the first records that I owned, and I still have my like vinyl copy of it. It's just like one of those things that's just it's always survived, um, and I I love it. They you know years and years and years ago at the uh, UCB Theater in New York. They did a thing called Soundtracks Live, and it was Amy Poehler and David Wayne. And this was before, you know, this was maybe to 2001. Two, and all, all it was was people reenacting scenes from Fast Times or Ridgemont High and then a band, you know, different musical acts doing songs. <laughs> wow. And it was one of the most fun things that's ever been, you know, like put on stage. That sounds awesome. And they, But but we all – I mean – You've got a you got a Sammy Hagar song in this. That's they're all original. There's a lot of original songs. You have Jackson Brown, somebody's baby, Amazing. which is one of my which is songs. really used unbelievably well. Yes. Mm -hmm. I yes. mean, it's one thing to just have a needle drop. It's one thing to use a needle drop that uh, speaks to the characters into the scene, and then is used different times to this exact same song that says different things yeah. in different scenes. It's really incredible. No, like it's, you know, it's, she loses a virgin and then when she and Damone have and sex and then off. it's, and it cuts off. <laughs> and that is like, I remember watching that as a young 
like eight year old. I did not know why that was funny yet. <laughs> By the time I was like maybe 12, I got why that was funny. And now I think it's now it's not funny at all. Not funny at all. Not fucking funny at all. (laughs) (laughs) There's no joke in that. Yeah. And and just um and there's like there's a Donna Summer song on the on the record for some reason. I think because it was like electro like it's one of these soundtracks that like I think that Cameron Crowe and Amy Heckerling felt like they had made some compromises at the time. But I'm glad that the compromises happened because it ended up like perfect. Well, and it creates sort of a a tableau of the scene at the time. And on some level, also these kids probably shouldn't be listening to the hippest music. Around. No, they're not the coolest kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just discovering Blondie. Yeah, no, like, like where's it's supposed to be in like the valley, right? It's or in the Sh- valley. It's Sherman, Sherman Oaks. Oaks. I mean, yeah. that's, that's where it's shot anyway. Shot, yeah, Sherman shot Oaks. in Van Nuys High School. And there was it was the old Sherman Oaks Mall that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, the Sherman Oaks Galleria. So, so like, yeah, they're like re- they're suburban. There's n- nobody's you know sneaking off to d- see a new wave night. No, it's like, it, literally you make out to Van Halen. Yeah, or not Van exactly. Halen. You make out to Led Zeppelin. To Led Zeppelin. Yeah, which, there's not there's not a single. Uh, that's really interesting. Also, is that you know obviously Heckerling and Cameron Crowe knew what was happening on the other side of the hill yeah. in the early '80s, and they made sure that none of these kids had an inkling of what was going on in Hollywood. Or, exactly. You know, they, they, nobody is going to go listen to, you know, fear. Uh, in <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a it's chance. Not even on, it's not even on the radar. <laughs> it's only like eight miles away, but like yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Um, the, and the, the Led Zeppelin, you know, cue, uh, I, I forget, and I'm sorry, I forget what, you know, it's put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4, which I, I don't remember exactly what's on side one of Led Zeppelin 4, but it's not Cashmere. Which they cut to, and uh, which is maybe almost an inside joke that he is missing. He's missing the actual. Well, that was. I think they wanted the song, but then they couldn't get it. But in Cameron Crowe's mind, on the commentary, says that Ratner got it wrong. Yeah, he just put on the wrong record. It's so funny because so Cameron Crowe for the longest time is the only guy who can get Led Zeppelin Mm -hmm. in movies, and now Led Zeppelin is on car commercials. You can get anything now if you pay for it. Crazy. It's so weird. Yeah, there's like I watched like a a great documentary. uh, I think is is on. I think it's called the six five. And it was like a, you know, it's a documentary about like, you know, corrupt cops in New York city or whatever. And the thing ends with a Rolling Stone song. And that's a documentary. And it's, it was it heartbreaker. Yeah. It ends with heartbreaker. Yeah. yeah and that's I was, the rolling. If you're making a corrupt cop. You're documentary. making a corrupt. Yeah. But like <laughs> that they got heartbreaker by the stones for this documentary. Like I think if you pay for it, you can get it. Now. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, we're all old enough to remember when, uh, you know, when the Beatles showed up in a Nike commercial yes. and that was mm-hmm. like fucking like culture ending. It was, it like, was culture shit. ending. And now the best thing that could happen to your band is, is being in a is commercial and being in a commercial. There, there are bands that make basically make songs with like, can I get this yeah. in a car? Yeah. Can this be in an Apple ad? Yeah. Well, well yeah. and what, what I think why our generation, you know, the Generation X people like were so angry about this idea in the 90s. I think we've all made peace with it because yes. we saw the music industry collapse. So now if it's a band we like, we're like, oh, go ahead. Get Good it where you, you can get it. Yeah. Well, it's just like watch the um, sort of last 30 minutes of Reality Bites again. Mm-hmm. And you see um, a movie which I really like actually and I think really holds up. Um, but you see what they do to Winona Ryder's like documentary and how they cut it up and they put a – a Pizza Hut logo right. on it, and she is so angry about. It, she leaves. She just walks out of the party. And now I think any 
documentary filmmaker would be thrilled yeah. to get like, fine, put Pizza Hut on it. Can I make my thing? Like, exactly. it's just the, it's just the culture has changed in 20 years. So what's his name? Made a whole fucking documentary about it. Where it was just uh, Palm Wonderful presents. What's his name? The uh, oh, the greatest movie ever sold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Morgan Spurlock. Morgan Spurlock. Yeah. I mean, that's like his whole shtick now. It's just like yeah. brands. We love brands. He's made seven hundred documentaries. He I've makes seen yeah. twelve of them. He made he made six of them this morning. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, <laughs> remember when he was like really exciting, like super size me and everybody was like, wow, this is like exciting. And then there mm. we go. Do you see his Osama bin Laden documentary? No. Oh, oh did, it's yeah. real Is it good? Bad. Oh, I it, like him. It does have a scene where, um, he puts Osama bin Laden in like, um, Tekken. Oh, that's interesting. So there's like, there's like, there's like a Tekken fight with Osama bin Laden. It's I, um, I, I, I just think that like, fa- like fast times at Ridgemont high, like is a film that they wouldn't even understand how to make this today. I don't quite understand how it got made at Universal in in the first place. They kind of hated it. They wanted yeah. to bury it initially. Yeah. They were only going to release it on the West Coast and never even on the East Coast. And yeah. it was just a big – and it was a big hit, right? This it was wasn't a huge a, hit. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's just it's – it's a cultural signifier in a major way. I can't imagine growing up in America without seeing Fast Times at some point and sort of having that form your idea of what teenage life is supposed to be like. I know some people that haven't seen Fast Times now because and, – and it's like they feel like – yeah, I know. I'm supposed to see it. It's cultural signifier and, and and it's like I actually kind of feel badly for them because I never want to be the person that's like, oh, you must see. Like, you right. know, I, I know how that feels. But I kind of – at the same time, it's like, yeah, I know that with a lot of, of these sort of teen movies or whatever. But Fast Times is the one that is – that is worth like. Well, I mean, is it, do people think that it's schlocky? Is that what the thing is? They think it's just another Revenge of the Nerds. They think that it's just. Uh, God, that's uh, a uh, really uh, good uh, point. Uh, no, you do not get to squeeze my Revenge of the Nerds disc. I, I do like Revenge. Of, I do like Revenge of the Nerds, but it's a completely different tone in 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 film. And I think that, and it's different. I think it's actually different than all of the John Hughes movies, which I hundred percent, yeah, really like. I like a lot of the John Hughes movies, and um, even Weird Science, I think, is a lot of fun. You know, but like Fast Times, are, it's the one of the most realistic teen films ever. While also being a comedy, right? While while not because you there are realistic teen movies and they play Sundance every single year, yeah. And they're always sort of like these grinding yeah. things, and like there's always like a lot of like silence because the kids in these movies never know how to express themselves. But this is a film where the kids are witty, uh, the kids are funny, the kids are smart, it's but it's also serious at yeah. the same time. Heckerling is amazing. I mean, we, we keep coming back to how amazing she is because I mean she's able to weave broad comedy in with the real realistic stuff she has these little montages yeah that you know are just kind of broad there's like broad silly things happening and then we get into a very real thing and you never feel the the, the shift in tone it's just very natural yeah it just and the kids naturally. talk like real kids yes. they're not talking like quipsters they're not even talking the way they were in clues and i right. love clues right. i love clues but that was a, that was language. a decision right. yeah and and th- th- like there are two films where they have sort of invented slang um, teen films when they get it way right and it's Clueless and Heathers and then when you see people try to do that or emulate that and they get it wrong and it can be just a little bit to the to the left and it's bad it's the worst thing in right. the world it's the worst thing ever and Amy Heckerling's choices that she makes here even the little ones that pop out to me 
uh, that made me so happy. Like, say when Spicoli's on the phone with Eric Stoltz, mm-hmm. and Eric Stoltz is just in a pink bathroom, and you just kind of know everything about Eric Stoltz's family, yeah, because he has a pink bathroom, <laughs> yeah. And nobody would really think. That. I think most directors would be like, oh, put him in a surfer-looking room, put yeah, him in something no. with like pinups, no. but he's in his mom's bathroom. He's got, a, and then you know there's, that there's a, a whole lot world. of sisters, you know, yeah. yeah. There's that's a life amazing. outside of them, and that's a choice nobody makes unless they're really thoughtful. Yeah, I like Spicoli's room. Uh, with the uh, models on the wall, um, some of them doing what we used to call in, in high school the full beaver. Uh, and I, that also speaks a lot to what his like when his little brother comes in is like brother. dad and his shirt is just filthy. Yeah, it's just that's all that's all you need. You don't that's need anything need. else. That's, his entire those pictures on the wall and the brother in the filthy shirt tells you everything you want to know about that family. Oh, it's so great. She's amazing. Yeah. She's uh, amazing. I don't know why we don't get a million films from her all the time. I don't know why she hasn't. I don't know why we deified John Hughes when Amy Heckerling exists. I uh, I uh, got she, there. She made a movie called Vamps, uh, which, uh, which I heard is pretty good. I, I haven't seen it. it. I, 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 I it's pretty good. I'm in it. Oh hi! Very briefly. <laughs> wow. I got a, a call and it was like they needed somebody to play one of those assholes on VH1 that talks about pop culture. Wow. And so what a they stretch thought, for you. Yeah, so they thought they'd get one of those real assholes <laughs> that I made. A, and so I got to work with Amy Heckerling uh, and and just, you know, she shot me to green screen talking about Devo. Um, really? And it's in the movie. And Alicia Silverstone sees me, like, talking about Devo, and she's like, who's this asshole and turns the TV <laughs> off? And, um, and, you know, yeah, so she, she, she makes – Films and and I you know that one I think was a sort of a smaller release and like like I I think she should like I'd love to see Amy Heckling make another thousand movies. She's great. And write them, you know, write them too. She's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is sort of weird, and I love. I'm not. This is not a diss on Cameron Crowe, who I love. Yeah, uh, even though he's even though his later output, I think is. <laughs> really, even though you voted against getting Jerry Maguire in the canon, even though I voted against Jerry Maguire, and even though I think that Aloha is Aloha is like actually so bad that it's kind of worth watching in really? terms of see, like. See, that's the thing is like I just don't want to see these bad Cameron Crowe movies because I like the good Cameron Crowe movies. So, so it's unreal how bad it is. But it's sort of crazy to me that Cameron Crowe is the guy who comes out of Fast Times with the big career and you know really explodes. And right, Amy, Amy Heckling. Sort of. I mean, she made other great movies, but never got that cultural significance. That can you say Cameron Crowe, and everybody knows. Yeah. And in fact, people might even say, "Oh, Fast Times is a Cameron Crowe movie." Right? It's not. It's an, it's it, Cameron Crowe could not have directed this movie. As much as I like what he does, sure, what he does is not this. And she's walking that perfect tightrope of comedy and, and 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 drama that is really hard to do. And you should watch The Wildlife again because it's it's not directed. But it's a Cameron Crowe screenplay, and it's the same sort of universe. It's a sort of you. Know, you know, it's teenagers at night and, uh, you know, like all taking place in one in night. But it's directed by Art Linson, who's like producer on uh, on Fast Times. And it, it just wrote one of the great books about Hollywood. He did. Yes. It just doesn't work as well. It just doesn't work as well. The, I would love to see Cameron Crowe and Amy Hackerley make a, another That'd movie. That'd be amazing. Uh, I haven't seen Wildlife since it came out, which is why I had no idea. They the showed it at the it. New Art a couple of years ago. Really? really? Yeah, it was awesome. It was oh, just so cool. Well, I guess this is the part of the podcast where we all have to say what we feel. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, 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 Jake, do you think that the Fast Times belongs in the canon? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amy? Oh, a thousand percent. I agree as well. I think Fast Times is a no-brainer. Um, I do. You know, actually, you brought up people who haven't seen it and maybe think that it's schlocky. One of my favorite things is when we do a movie and people haven't seen it and they're like, oh, wow, I never 
thought this was this kind of a movie. I hope that there's sort of some people – I mean I hope everybody's seen it. But if you haven't seen it, I hope that you watch it and realize, oh, this is not just some schlocky teen sex comedy. This is a real movie. This is almost like the hangover of New Hollywood if they made a teen sex comedy. Like it has that level of realism and and sort of – it's not because it's too funny to be bleak, but there's yeah. but there's a real a, a, a clear eyed look at what life is about with also sort of an early eighties fun sensibility. It's a, it's perfect in that way. Um, now it's up to you guys at home. If you go to wolfpop.com, find the forums. The second forum down is the canon. There'll be an official voting thread where you can make your voice heard. And hopefully, uh, I think this feels like an easy yes. Well, who, who can tell? And again, I'm looking forward to hearing people who have seen this movie for the first time uh, thanks to this episode. Uh, uh, Jake, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, Devin is wrong about rockyhorror.com. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is a new website that I will be launching. Can you come on every week? <laughs> Uh, I'm on uh, I, I'm on Twitter at Jake Fogelnest. That's yeah. I think that's it. I don't have anything else. Going. So do you, I, you know the the new wet hot that you wrote on is mm-hmm. terrific. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I you know again this is a thing I was also skeptical about because when anytime you revisit something, sure. so many years later, and then you guys as a writing staff, I think you leaned into the nature of the Netflix show in such a yes. great way. So yes, it, it yes, created. Yes. I, actually, what's funny, I'm not just blowing smoke. There is a similar. It's not as serious as Fast Times, but there's there's dramatic stuff in the Wet Hot yeah, yeah, yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it yeah. actually is like a story that I cared about uh, uh, while also having comedy. But can you give us a scoop? Is there going to be a season two? Is there going to be another? It's. I will say this: like it's possible. It's it's not impossible. Um, everybody had a lot of fun, and it did well. So you know, it's crazy that there was a f- first day of camp. So <laughs> I uh, love that. They, I mean, what began is like what seemed like a joke. Yeah, we're, we're ten years later. We're going to do a prequel. Yeah, it has become not just a, a reality, but a really good reality. Yeah, it's 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 one of the most amazing things. I, I'm so grateful I got to be a part of it. And yeah, and, and Fast Times was a huge uh, influence on the original What Hot American Summer, yeah. and you know, it came up. Often while we were working on uh, the the Netflix show, for sure. Which alone speaks to Fast Times' importance in the canon. Oh, it gave us. <laughs> and, uh, and, and on Hulu, uh, Difficult People, which I really recommend. I cannot oh, recommend thanks, enough. Uh, uh, and that's coming back for a second season. Yeah, that's coming back. And Billy on the Street is airing right now, which is uh, on uh, True TV on Thursdays. Uh, I saw he was hanging out with Chris Pratt. Yes, yes. We took Chris Pratt around – uh, New York City, and we're like, Miss, do you know who this is? And no one knew who he was. He's the biggest movie star in the world. It says a lot. I think it's really... Hey, Queeros, it's me, Cami Esposito, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Query. You can sit in on hour-long conversations between me, Cameron Esposito, and some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ family. Query explores individual stories of identity, personality, and the shifting cultural matrix around gender, sexuality, and civil rights. Plus, it is fun. We have had some incredible guests. Uh, Emmy winner Lena Waithe? Yes, definitely. Congressman Mark Takano? You bet. L Word creator Eileen Shaken? Yes. President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis? We definitely have. We've got celebs, people like Trixie Mattel, Evan Rachel Wood, Tegan and Sarah, the band, and the people separately on two different episodes. We also have activists and change makers in our community i think it's a one-of-a-kind show full of chats you have never heard before it's identity it's community it's query you can find query every monday on stitcher apple Podcasts, and spotify or wherever you get your podcasts